Good morning, everybody. So good to see you this morning. Let's dive in. Uh, our Advent series has concluded, and we're going to get back to our expository study of the Gospel of John. So if you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 4, we're going to be covering a big swath of Scripture this morning. Um, it could be divided up into some sections, but I think given what the Lord is doing in our church, I think it, it's good to kind of see the the panorama of what the Lord is communicating um, in this passage to us today, because I think it'll, it, it'll uh, hopefully become a way of life for us in this coming year about what we see Jesus doing uh, in saving souls and in sending people into the harvest field for him. So it's in John 4, we're going to study verses 1 through 42. Um, when we were uh, back in John, if you remember, we, we experienced Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and, and Nicodemus' need for humility because he needed to be born again and he was not going to be saved by all of his Bible knowledge uh, uh, without being born again. And when, then we saw Jesus' impact on John the Baptist and, and, and John the Baptist was a great example of humility and a hunger for Jesus to be exalted. And this morning, we're going to learn about a woman at a well who was thirsty and her encounter with Jesus, who promised that if she would believe in him, she would never thirst again. Now, if you're visiting with us today, you might think we decided to teach this text in light of the mini water crisis that we just faced uh, in Midland. Uh, but no, this, this was just our next passage in our verse-by-verse -verse study of John. Um, and Robin, I do want to say thank you, and if you'll extend the thanks to all of our city leaders for how hard they worked. And I couldn't believe how quickly this was, it was solved. And it, oh, it, was, it, was, um, it was amazing. I sent Patrick a note last night uh, of thanks and appreciation. So thank you, and if you'll extend that to all of our other city leaders. We're so grateful, so grateful for you. But, you know, uniquely, didn't the water crisis and boil water advisory get you thinking a lot about water? And a lot about thirst. And about how much you need your thirst to be quenched with a ready supply of life-giving water. Well, our passage this morning offers us something much better than Midland water. Those of you who have been here a while know what I mean. Uh, our passage this morning offers us living water. Since the passage is long, uh, I debated whether to read it section by section and then teach, but I think let's just go ahead and read it and see the full panorama of it, and then we'll come back and unpack it. John chapter 4, let's listen to the voice of Jesus, not just speaking to the woman at this well, but to our hearts, just as intimately and personally and authoritatively. Starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water of this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and in fact is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The one said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they're coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Well, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So as we, as we pray, could you be thinking of two things? So, you know, our series is called Believe because one of the main themes that you see again and again and again in the Gospel of John is believe, trust. It's not just believing in some intellectual facts. There's an affectionate trust and a surrender and a repentance that goes into that. It's trusting that he is the Savior. I am a sinner and I have no help apart from, I have no hope or help apart from him saving me by his grace. But there's another word from chapter 4 onward. We're going to see this word again and again and again. And it's the word sent. And we're going to hear it in regard to Jesus coming and being sent by the Father to us. So we're to believe in the one the Father has sent. But then what you're going to be hearing is just as the Father sent the Son, so he sends us into the world. So can we be lifting that up? Can you be, be already be pondering that in your heart and praying for that? Lord, help. Wherever I'm struggling with unbelief, would you help me believe? And Lord, would you also empower me to be sent into the world the way Jesus was sent into the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for being a speaking God. And thank you for speaking so personally and authoritatively and savingly in the scriptures about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, would you grow our faith today? Lord, for those who have already known you, would you grow our faith and our trust in you? Lord, for someone here this morning who has not yet come to know you as their, their Savior and their Lord, would you give them the grace of saving faith this morning in Jesus? And God, oh, how we long to not just be believers, how we long to not just be worshipers, but we also want to be witnesses locally and globally about the saving glory and grace of King Jesus. So would you work that in our hearts this morning? And Lord, even as we're thinking about our community and our city, Lord, with the swearing-ins that will be happening tomorrow, first, we want to say thank you for Mayor Patrick Payton. Lord, thank you for such a time as this that you raised him up to, in a, in a unique way, shepherd our city through some of the most unusual, crisis-oriented, desperate times that maybe we've ever experienced. So thank you for him. Please bless him. And, and God, as Mayor Lori Blong takes uh, her oath of office tomorrow and all of the other elected officials, oh God, would you bless them? Oh God, would you give them wisdom? to lead in righteousness and in peace for your name's sake. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
My main point this morning is this, and hopefully you're already hearing it, but Jesus calls us into salvation to be his worshipers and sends us out on mission to be his witnesses. And this isn't supposed to be seen as two different things. Like there's some of us that are worshipers and there's some of us that are witnesses. This is the same person. The title of the message, the wayward, the worshiper, and the witness. It's all one person. It's all one person experiencing the grace of Jesus Christ in their life. The saving grace, the missional grace that God puts in the hearts of his people. So let's start with Jesus seeking the wayward. And this is chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. God records Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and then the woman at the well in back-to-back narratives. Super interesting stuff. A preacher that we've grown to love and enjoy um, and be blessed by, his name's H.B. Charles. He said this was to show that Jesus came to save both the up and outer. He called Nicodemus the up and outer as well as the down and outer. And that no one is ever so good that they're beyond their need of God's grace. And everyone is, no one is ever so bad that they're beyond the reach of God's grace. And can't you say amen to that? Jesus' longest conversation recorded in the Gospels is to this precious lady. And I, I want, I'm, I'm praying that God would open our eyes and help us to see ourselves at this well. We, we, maybe we can't relate to all the things, all the sin and suffering that she's gone through, but... But we find ourselves alone and without hope and help in the world unless Jesus comes into our Samaritan lives too. So I hope that we'll see that this morning. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus spends the most time, he doesn't speak the most time talking to Pharaoh, to Herod or to Pilate. Jesus spends the most time talking to the least and the last and the lost. He's near to, he draws near to us, doesn't he? It's so cool. This is just so cool. So verses 1 through 6, we learn that Jesus is baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. This, the first embers of conflict with the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Sadducees, they're beginning to burn. And in God's providence, though, it wasn't time for those embers to be fanned into the full flame of hatred and rejection and crucifixion. So Jesus withdraws from that region and heads to Galilee, but... First, he had a divine appointment to keep in Samaria. In spite of the clear instruction from God's word that Israel's capital and center of its worship be found in Jerusalem, back in uh, the Old Testament, evil King Omri, if you ever, 12 verses are devoted to him and they're all terrible. He was just an evil, ungodly king. He decided to name the city, uh, in the northern city of Samaria, the new capital of what was now becoming the divided kingdom of Israel. And over time, the entire region became known as Samaria. So already there's connivory going, there's chicanery going, there's evil, there's, there's a lot of politicking going, a lot of pride, a lot of, a lot of selfish, self-seeking glory. So that's already planting seeds for, for what we're going to experience today. Then Assyria comes and captures Samaria in 722 BC. They deport all of the Israelites of wealth and wisdom and status. And then they repopulate the area with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving, the remaining Israelites, which, as you can imagine, led to severe compromises religiously. Uh, because now the gods of other nations were intermingling in marriage with the people of Israel. And so uh, there was, there was uh, 
uh, a beginning of a whole new culture and society that was taking place here. And then, to make matters worse, the Samaritans took out their scissors and decided that God's word was only the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, they cut out everything else. They would cut out Isaiah. They would cut out uh, the, the teaching, the, the stories of Elijah and all of the prophets. They built a rival temple for worship on Mount Gerizim and ignored the temple in Jerusalem. Um, later, that temple would be torn down, but Gerizim was still viewed as the center of Samaritan worship. So the Jews saw the Samaritans as political rebels. They saw them as racial half-breeds. They saw them as spiritual heretics. And for all intents and purposes, just flat-out idol worshipers. They had cooties <laughs> in the eyes of the, the, the Jews. Far worse than cooties. It was like they were lepers. The, the Samaritans were viewed as unclean. The Jews wouldn't even eat or drink from dishes or cups if they knew that a Samaritan had touched them. So that's why in just a minute, this woman is so freaked out when Jesus says, hey, can you give me a, can you give me a drink of water through your ladle? That, that would just be unheard of because they would view the Samaritans as unclean. And the text said Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, it's the shortest way to get to Galilee, so it made a lot of logical sense, and many Jews did that. But if you did it, you'd have to put up with those Samaritans. And a lot of Jews would rather take the longer direction, the longer route, so as to not be defiled with the presence of these sinners. Well, Jesus was willing to cross any barrier in order to seek and save the lost, wasn't he? Do you realize that that didn't start with his trip to Samaria? Do you realize that started with his incarnation? Jesus was willing to cross any barrier to come into a dark and hateful and God-rejecting world to seek and save the lost. So don't just be affected by his entrance into Samaria. Be affected by his taking on flesh laying his life down on a cross to pay for our sins. He illustrates it in, in wonderful detail by going in to Samaria to seek and save the lost. Let me ask you, are you willing to cross any barrier? Any boundary? Are you willing to overlook any offense? so that you could see people saved from sin and judgment? Let's just start small, okay? Let's, you know, I, I could just go to some graphic illustrations. How about this? Is there a person, or there, is there a people, a kind of people in your life that you'd really just rather not deal with? I think if we had a, tr a lie detector, <laughs> if we said, no, not me, I think we'd fail that test. Uh, whether it's because of race, maybe it's because of being offended, maybe it's because of you've been hurt by them. How about this? Is there someone you might see at the other end of the HEB aisle and suddenly do a U-turn? And even though you needed to go to the pharmacy, so I'm thinking the one on Wadley and, and Midkiff. Even though you had to go to the pharmacy section, which was just, just that way, just right there, 
you, you turned around, you saw this person, and you went all the way to the produce section in order to not encounter that person. Do you know why I know all that? Because I've done it. And I'm so sorry I've done it. Aren't we glad that Jesus didn't turn a shopping cart around? Aren't we glad that he came into our wayward and wounded Samaritan lives, which we needed him to because we would have never turned to him on our own? And it was even more controversial for an Israelite man to talk with a Samaritan woman. I'm sorry, this is, this is on the really gross side, but this is just the history of the conflict between these peoples. Israel would go so far as to say that Samaritan women were menstruants. I didn't even know that was a word. But menstruants from their cradle. You know what that means? They're perpetually unclean. Man, the inhumanity of man to man. The inhumanity of man to woman. It's tragic. She would be seen as spiritually unclean and unworthy to talk to. Well, let's pick up in verse 7 through 15. The disciples have gone into the city to get food. Jesus sits down beside one of Jacob's wells. He's tired and he's thirsty because he's fully man. So he's identifying with our, with our earthly and our physical needs. He knows what it is to feel tired. He knows what it is to be thirsty. And a Samaritan woman came to the well at the same time. But something's amiss here. Just kind of, let's, let's stop right there. And st there's something a little amiss here. Not because she came to the well, but because of two things. She came alone, and she came at high noon. Interesting, Nicodemus comes in the dark of night. She comes at high noon. Just there's so many amazing connections and things we could talk about. But let's keep moving. Respectable women, respectable women came for water in community. They came together with other women. And they came early in the morning. But coming alone or at noon would be a time when the outcasts and the marginalized, those seen as unclean and too far gone to help, that's when they would come. And why? Because you wouldn't get criticized there. You wouldn't get, you wouldn't get condemned there. Because there's no respectable people there. You know, I just, this, this thought hit me yesterday as I'm praying and studying. How many people don't come to church? Because they think that's where the respectable people go. Instead of realizing, no, oh, that's where sinners go to find grace and help in our time of need. Well, see, she's coming alone because it, it's a lot less painful to come then than to come when others will judge her and condemn her. Has there ever been a time in your life when your sinful choices ended up causing you to feel isolated and alone? Has there been a time where you've preferred to avoid people because of a conflict you had with someone or a hurt you suffered or how you thought someone viewed you? So here we go again. Have you ever decided to go to the grocery store at 11 o'clock at night? I'm just confessing. When, when I'm under guilt and condemnation, when I'm, when I'm far more aware of my failures than any fruitfulness in my life, I offer to go to the grocery for Jan at about 11. It's, it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? You're already, you're already feeling condemned 
What you really need is to actually go to be with the right people and not, not, to, not to pull back, but you pull back. It doesn't solve anything. It just keeps your struggle in the darkness, doesn't it? Well, Jesus says, give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, for, ask me a woman and a, a woman from Samaria for a drink? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who's speaking to, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. This water is always flowing and never running dry. So that reminds us salvation is a gift of grace. So if you're here this morning and you were raised in some sort of tradition that, that you had to believe in Jesus, but you better, you better toe the line too. And maybe, maybe if you'll just do a enough good with your faith in Jesus. Jesus kind of, it's, it's, I believe in Jesus plus my efforts. That's just not it at all. Jesus says that the gift of salvation and the gift of this living, it, well, I'm saying it right there. It's a gift. It's a gift. And I want to just say right from this very second, you know what? If you're dry and parched because you've been trying to satisfy your thirst in temporary things and you're just discovering again and again and again, why am I so dissatisfied? Why am I so discontented? Why am I such a grumbler and a complainer? Isn't it amazing that the gift of living water is not something you have to go look for? You don't have to go to First Baptist or Stonegate or the or MLK Center. You don't have to, to go to water distribution centers. You know what you have to do? Right? You, you turn your heart to a loving God and say, Lord, I need to drink again at the living water, the fountain that only you can give me. Isn't it amazing? You don't even have to leave your seat. He's so good. He's so kind. So it's, a, it's an undeserved gift of grace. But this is, oh, please see this, you guys. I just think sometimes we, and especially, you know, we want to be good students of Scripture, but I think we can, in trying to be such good students and have such sound doctrine, I think we can sometimes sterilize what's going on here. Now, okay, this is, I'm going to step away from the pulpit. This is my opinion. I think Jesus was smiling when he's telling her this. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you and that I want to give you living water. I, don't, I can maybe be half pulpit, half opinion here. I don't know. I, I, think there's, I think there's something to that. Do you see the smiling face of God in your life? Or do you just constantly come back to this, 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 I don't know, this grumpy dad's disappointment with you? Jesus is smiling. He's eager. He wants to give you a new life, eternal life. It thrills his heart to do so. So I believe there was a lot of smiling, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of joy and excitement from Jesus as he's talking to her about this. And the last point is this. Do you notice it has to be asked for? So Jesus is making the first move. Sovereign grace is at work in, in coming to her and, and first loving her. But what sovereign grace does is it does a work in the heart that, that enables the heart to respond and to ask for the gift that he's offering. So let's remember that. It is, it's a gift that needs to be asked for. And oh, if you want to ask for it today. Jesus will give you the gift of eternal life in a nanosecond. I don't even know that you're going to finish. Lord, please save me. I don't even think the E is going to end before he's, yes, because I love you. And I don't want you to stay one second longer 
in your sin and guilt and the judgment you deserve. What a Savior. What a Savior. Well, she says, but you have nothing to draw water with. The, the well is deep. Um, and our father Jacob gave us this well. And, and really what she's saying is, and it was good enough for him. Jacob was a pretty good dude. You know, one of the patriarchs, do you know about him? <laughs> Are you greater than our father Jacob? And the implied answer at this point is, no, you're not. No, you're not. And actually, Jesus is really telling her, I, I am greater than Jacob. Jacob can only dig for water. <clears throat> I make it. <laughs> right? He's, he is the greater than Jacob. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water I give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, this is a totally different concept of water than the, what, the, what you can get out of this well. The water I will give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The well you're drawing from is natural and it's man-made. This spring is supernatural and it's God-given. Your well satisfies a temporary thirst only to make you thirsty again later. This spring lasts forever. The well you have, the well you're talking about, you've got to come in the heat of day and take a bucket and you've got to go to it and find it. The spring that I'm offering you is with you wherever you go. And how many do, of you don't, oh listen, I, I, listen, whatever sorrow, suffering, temptation you're going through, isn't it wonderful to know that I don't, I don't have to come to 2901 West Kansas Avenue in Midland, Texas in order to fill up my bucket. Isn't it great to know that when your heart is breaking and you're worried about your children or you're worried about your job, that, that spring of water is with you all the time for, for you to drink from and draw from and receive new hope and new life from. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Because that spring of water is really a union with Jesus himself. And so she says, sir, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty or have to come here for water. And this is really great. So just kind of see what's un unfolding here. At this point, you can see that her need is really bigger than she understands still, right? She's still not quite seeing it. She thinks her greatest need is for the satisfaction of her physical thirst, and Jesus is really leading her to see the emptiness of her bucket is really the symptom of the emptiness of her soul. What are you more aware of this morning? Are you more aware of your lack of a boyfriend? Lack of no promotion for the last three years? not being healed of a sickness that you've prayed endlessly to be delivered from. It's, you know, we've, we've used this illustration so many times before, but, you know, it's just so easy for something so small to take such prominence in your vision that that's all you can see. And Jesus is trying to show her your need is way bigger, bitter, bigger than you understand. And my grace is way bigger than you've ever dreamed. Amen. Her soul is more empty than her bucket. Now, I want to clarify something there. 
you know, again, this, this, my sons tell me, Dad, your illustrations are so ancient. <laughs> and they are. But there was a song that used to go, Life without Jesus is like a donut. Like a donut, like a donut. Life without Jesus is like a donut because there's a hole in the middle of your heart. Bless your heart. Well, our need for Jesus is much more than just an empty spot in our hearts. If you wanted to say there's a hole in our hearts, you know, maybe it's, it's a hole because there is a lack of God in our hearts, but it's because our hearts are so filled with sin, a love of sin. And it's that that we need to be delivered from. So just like her, we can tend to be more aware of our physical needs and our spiritual needs. Uh, we may, we, you may not be no longer wayward in terms of being dead in sin, but we can wander, prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We've tasted living water and salvation, but it's so easy to seek to quench our thirst for satisfaction in the things of the world. So what's Jesus' response? He, he shows her that she won't see what a great Savior that he is until he shows her what a great sinner she is. Are you willing to see that? Let's look how it happened with her. Second point is Jesus transforms the wayward into worshipers. And this is John 4, verses 16 through 26. He says, go call your husband and come here. <sighs> Knowing what you've read now, so you know already this, what's happening. Put yourself in her shoes. If God just gave me this prophetic insight into your heart right now, and I just started unpacking some dark details about the sins you've been committing this week, wouldn't you want me to change the subject? This is, this is, Jesus is not just speaking to her intellect. He's speaking to the condition of her soul, her mind, her, her, her choices and her emotions. And she says, uh, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you have is not your husband. So listen, we don't know. I want to be careful here. We don't know if she was a serial fornicator because the word husband could also be translated man. So it could read, you're right, you've had five men, and the man you now have is not your husband. She could have been married and divorced five times. And if so, we don't know who was at fault. We don't know if all five husbands had died, or there was a combination of divorces and some deaths. We just don't know. But Jesus is showing her that there's an issue in her, in her heart. There's either a pursuit of security. I mean, you know, it's just, it's a tragic thing that for, for brokenhearted women, they give themselves into sex, not because they're really interested in the sex, but they're hoping the sex will lead to security. And so was, it, was that it? Was she looking for security and willing to give sex as the, as the, as the payment needed to buy security? Uh, or was she just trying to find satisfaction in people, places, and things? These are really just the symptoms of what she's going through. The root is sin and separation from God. And she's been trying to find something that would be like living water in people. 
Um, hopefully that I can find something lasting in this relationship. Hopefully I can find something lasting in this church. <laughs> hopefully I can find something, la- yeah, I mean, just in, my new, in a new house or a new neighborhood or a new job. Hopefully I could find something that would last and, and satisfy me. You can't satisfy an eternal need with temporary things. This is a, it's in your notes, Jeremiah 2, verses 12 and 11, 12 and 13. Be appalled, O heavens. Look at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. First, they've forsaken me. Yeah, guilty. The fountain of living waters. And second, They've hewed out cisterns for themselves. Thinking that's where they're going to be able to find their water supply. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. We do know that her response to all the waywardness was just continuing to do the same thing over and over again with the same results. And I want us to be careful here because they're, 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 the Lord brings both conviction and compassion and let's do, when we're sharing the gospel with pre- people, precious ones, let's just don't bring the word with, with, with hearts that seem like we don't even care. The Lord brings conviction and compassion. She may have been guilty of some horrible sins in these things, but I don't know about you, sin does some real damage to our hearts. Do you know who hurts you more than anyone else in the world? It's you! Our sin does far more damage, you guys. Then we, we, we just always look outside ourselves for the problem. It doesn't mean you haven't been horribly hurt and may God heal your broken heart. But let's, let's let the ax go to the root of the tree. My sin is what causes the deepest hurts in my life. And my sin is what creates the greatest wounds in my life. And I am so thankful for a Savior who came and bore my sin and bore my shame, takes away my guilt, treats me like I've never sinned, adopts me as a son or a daughter, and makes me new. I'm so glad because I needed him that much. It's easy to just go for conviction without compassion. I know this firsthand. My precious mom was married multiple times. And, and her, including my dad, was one of the ones that there was a divorce. And, and after dad is gone, my, my bedroom and her bedroom were right next to each other. And the walls were paper thin in Los Alamos. And there were just these quickly raised up houses to try to help supply workers for the scientific laboratory there. And, and, and I can remember, you guys, I can remember my mom just calling out at night. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, I know you're punishing me with, I, I just, I, I guess I, I just can never really have a lasting relationship with anybody because I just get divorced again and again and again. And, and then she got started getting sick and having horrible sicknesses. And, oh God, I know you're punishing me because I've been divorced three, four times. I've been divorced and you must be punishing me. Oh God, convict us of our sin, but also... Thank you that you heal our wounds. That's what Jesus is going to offer to this precious lady. How great Jesus doesn't leave her in this place. Watch the spirit begin to open her eyes. So he says, I perceive you're a prophet. Okay, 
a lot of the commentators, oh, she's deflecting. Maybe. I, we do that a lot, you know. We're deflecting. Oh, well, okay, let's, instead of talking about my fornication, how about we talk about prophecy? Yeah, okay. I don't think that's what's happening here. Why? Because remember that the Samaritans had cut out all of the other books of the Bible except for the first five which means her understanding of a prophet would really probably be focused on Moses. And do you remember what the scriptures say about Moses? There is someone coming. Listen, this is amazing. Moses was amazing. God used him in an amazing way with the shedding of the innocent blood of the lamb and the deliverance through the sea and, 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 and leading people to the, to the point of the promised land and through the wilderness and pillars of cloud and fire. And oh, wow, what a deliverer. But the scripture says there is someone coming who's better than Moses. I think that's what she's saying. I think the Holy Spirit, I think regeneration, I think you're starting to see the fruit of God opening her eyes and opening her heart. I perceive you're a prophet. There, I, there's, there's one coming who's, 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 who's going to be like Moses, and Jesus would answer yes, and a better Moses. From there, she recognizes she has a worship problem. This is, so, this is totally a work of the Holy Spirit. Sir, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is where we should worship. Which is it? Can you imagine how excited Jesus must have been that she's talking now about worship? <laughs> this is awesome. This is awesome. Can, how excited would you be that you're talking to a coworker and this person has been interested in Jesus for forever and you've decided, oh, talk it all. Share it once more. I'm going to share the gospel once more. And suddenly there's something happening. And now they're asking you question after question after question. And, and they start talking to you about true and false worship. Oh, that's happening here. And can you imagine how excited Jesus must be? And may we experience more of that excitement as we share the gospel with other people. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain in Jerusalem or Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know because you have rejected God's word. So it's really very word. The word is the issue here. We cannot properly worship the living God without God revealing to us who he is and why we should worship him. Otherwise, we, we might attend church, but I think, have you ever been in a church that really kind of worshiped its worship? Because they're, they're because they're worshiping what they don't know. Because the word is not the treasure of their lives. They're worshiping their emotions. They're worshiping their, their feelings. They're, they're worshiping themselves, maybe. He's saying, you worship what you don't know because you, you've messed up the scriptures. You've nullified the scriptures. We worship a God that we know. A God that has been revealing himself through the scriptures and is now revealing himself most specifically in his son. And you're going to see that in just a second. He says, the hour is coming and now is here when true worship worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Some, some commentators have thought that this is just, so spirit means there should be some passion and emotion and truth should be that there's some sound doctrine. That, that's, not, that's not wrong. I, I think it's more fun, foundational than that, though. God is spirit. So in order to worship him properly, you have to be made spiritually alive. You're dead in sin. 
And you can sing songs, and you can get excited about maybe a God who's going to be like a lucky rabbit's foot for you and, and try to convince him that you've been really good this week, and, and maybe he'll bless you. And you can, you can, you can kind of go into this weird idea of that's, that's what worship is. But listen, and listen, we need to thank the Lord for the gift of our worship leaders. Regularly. I'm biased. They, they would probably say, oh, we, we, you know, we're human. We can make mistakes. I just see these guys as such gifts to us. Have you ever seen any of them try to just stir you up? Come on. Is that as loud as you can sing? I do that. <laughs> right? I'm sorry when I do that. But they don't do that. Because they know that worship is a response to what you need to receive from the Lord. We first receive before we worship. Worship is a response to receiving. And what do you need to receive? The gift of the Holy Spirit. You need to be born again. You need to, to, be, to be brought out of your, your being dead to God, to being alive to God. And now, because he, he's spirit, now you can worship him with an, a spirit that is alive to him. And then it speaks of worshiping him in truth too. And we know Jesus calls himself the truth. Worship and faith has to have an object. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in the object of faith, and that's Jesus Christ. And so that's why Piper, this is just a really great quote. Let me try to read this real quickly. True worship comes only from spirits made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the Spirit of God. Worship must be vital and real in the heart. There should be affections. And there, that's because you've been changed. You've been made alive. You deserve eternal judgment and damnation. But you've been made alive and now have the, have the hope, the blessed hope of him coming and making all things new and eternal joy in his presence. Worship must be vital and real in the heart. And worship must rest on a true perception of God. There must be spirit and and there must be truth. Truth, this is, this is powerful. Truth without, without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full or half full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. Oh, but true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine, strong affections for God, rooted in truth, are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. So good. And then the Lord says, the Father is seeking people to worship him in that way. Well, that's good news, because we would never worship that way unless he was seeking us to do that. Because where God guides, he provides. God is going to provide what we need in order to worship this way. So listen, I mean, you see me. I get, I get emotional. God forbid that you ever think you have to be like me. You can be the most introverted person in this room. You could be the person, I'm just a quiet person. Thank God for, thank God for quiet people. Can you imagine if the whole world was me? I mean, that's gross. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 
imagine if the whole world was like me or Donald? Uh, that, 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 that would be wild. That would be just wild. God wants, to, God wants to do something in your heart that even if your worship is quiet, it's true. Because he's given you the Holy Spirit to make your heart tender and receptive and you know what he's done for you. Why? Because the word informs your worship. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. I mean, isn't this a coolest progression? And then, I think this deserves this. And Jesus says, the one who speaks to you is me. That's me. It's really I am is just is the literal in the text. I am. I am the Messiah. He's saying it now. This wasn't just 2,000 years ago. Do you realize he's saying, I'm right here, and I'm saying these truths to you. Where have you been empty and dry? Where have you been more aware of your physical need than your spiritual need? I mean, don't, I mean, don't, don't, don't you sometimes think God just, I deserve to be kicked to the curb? You, you would think, I've been a Christian for so many years, you'd think I would know better by now. And the Lord still says, I am what you need. And I'm going to give you what you need. In spite of what we deserve. She says, sir, all you have described, it's wonderful and glorious and inviting, but really that could only come from the Messiah. And that's why, so, so again, here's the, the, the amazing way that, that John has been inspired. So again and again, so let's hear a few Johnisms here. He's the word made flesh. That's who's speaking to you. He's the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. That's who's speaking to her. That's who's speaking to you. You have hope because of who's speaking to you this morning. His name is Jesus. He's he's the only one who could cause people to worship God in spirit and truth. I am the one who can give you living water, and I really want to do it. I love to give you living water, and and this is this is the coolest thing. So here we go. Start to build. Here's the crescendo. Here we go, and we're going to move into the how she how God not only transforms her into a worshipper but also a witness. She drops her bucket. No, that, that that could have been totally left out of the text. What any of us anyone? Who knew? Why do we need to know she dropped her bucket? You know why? Christmas time, Charlie Brown Christmas. I told you this before. You've heard other people say it. And Charlie Brown says, I just don't know how their mouths go. <laughs> Charlie Brown says, can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And then the lights dim and the spotlight turns on. And here comes Linus. Carrying his blanket, carrying his blanket, carrying his blanket. And when he begins to quote from the book of Luke, he drops his blanket. He doesn't need that security anymore. He's finding his security in the one who came to save him from his sins. 
she drops her water bucket. Why? Because she's already, her thirst has been satisfied. She has come to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And she runs with this good news into her city. And that's where the last point is Jesus sends his worshipers out to be his witnesses. Just then, the text says the disciples returned. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one really got into it. And then they go back to her, and now she's in her town. And listen, just in case you think, I, listen, I can, like, you know, I, I so admire. Alan is one of our great theologians, Christian Cotton. One of, these men are schooled, skilled men in Scripture and have advanced degrees. And we need these men in our lives. You don't need a, a doctor of divinity to lead people to Jesus. Look what she says. Come see. <laughs> Come see a man. She goes to the baker. Come see a man who's the bread of life. She goes to the candlestick maker. Come see a man who's the light of the world. And she just is going. I'm not so, I wouldn't be surprised as if, the, if the men that she's had, if she's had illicit relationships to, it wouldn't surprise me that she's going to them. She's saying, come see. And then what else does she say? Come see a man who knows everything. He's told me all I've ever done. He's told me all I've ever done. And it's ugly all that I've ever done. And he loves me. And he forgives me. Come and see. And you might think, well, you know, I, gosh, Billy, the life I lived before Christ was so bad. No one is going to believe me. No, no, no. Maybe one of the reasons they're going to believe you is because you were so different when you were lost and dead in sin. And God is changing your heart. And it might be the graphic nature of your, your salvation. It might cause them to say, I want to know more about this Jesus. He knew my unbelief. He knew my false religion. And he loved me anyway. Please, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg you, as we get into 2023, and we talk about being a worshiper and a witness. That's all one package. Please, please do not say, well, I can see why others would be good at evangelism. I'm just not. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You're a natural evangelist for what you love. Anyone like the cowboys? <laughs> Angelo, that was so brave of you. That was so brave of you. Angelo, isn't it easy to be a natural evangelist for the cowboys? It's just so easy. I like barbecue. We went and just saw Mike and, and Marissa in their new home of Memphis, Tennessee. So you hear all this about this Memphis barbecue. I'm a Texas barbecue guy. And so we went to this restaurant and I'm just, I tell the waiter, I'm from Texas. <laughs> I'm really winning this guy over. I should have been thinking about his soul. I'm thinking about barbecue. Oh, which is really kind of going into where we're going there. Texas goes there in a second. Uh, it's so easy to tell people about what you love. If you ask me about my grandchildren today, you better have three hours. Because it's easy to talk about what we love. Do you love Jesus? Let's tell the world about him. Who loves us like he does? Oh, let's go into the world with this good news. And she goes and, 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 and then the story says, 
And here come the people. Here come the people out of the city. And then here's the disciples. I so relate to this. Here's Memphis barbecue versus Texas barbecue. Here we go. And they just come and they just say, eat Jesus. Like a Jewish grandmother. Eat Jesus. Eat. You need to eat. You're just, you're looking all skin and bones. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And I say, who brought him the pita? You realize it's likely that they went into the same town that the woman went into? They brought back pita. She brought back people. My food is to do the will of my father who sent me and to accomplish his work. I want to encourage you. I, I, I'm going to guess that in a group this size, that you had a season of your life when you really tried to serve the Lord, and maybe you got, you got burned along the way some. Yeah. What did you expect? Your Savior was crucified. You're going to get upset that you got offended? He died for you. How could we not expect to be rejected and marginalized and but he crossed every boundary to reach you. And so you've quit giving. Not financially. You've quit giving your heart. When was the last time you specifically shared a clear gospel message with someone? For me, it can go, I can go weeks and not share. I've told you before, I've, I've, uh, this year will mark 30 years of serving this church. And there have been too many times in those 30 years that I've been hurt. And I haven't resigned, but I pulled my heart away. Because it hurt. And it's just easy. And you know what? And you think somehow I'm going to go over and well, I'm not going to give myself, I'm not going to make myself so vulnerable anymore. And what you're finding is you're actually dying worse than, than just by continuing to give and love and serve. Jesus says, God actually feeds you when you give of yourself. I mean, how many of you, the first few times you prepared a little Bible study, whether it's for children or for your small group or whatever, how many times have you gone, well, I get more, way more out. It's something to really study and care for people. I get so much out of that. It's something to give to people in the name of Jesus. Are you, I know, please forgive me, but is there, is there a spiritual anorexia in your life? Because you're not, you're not eating the food that God would give you through serving and through evangelizing. Well, the story concludes with Jesus teaching his disciples a couple of things. And he says, don't, don't say, don't you, you know, there's a saying that says there's four months and then the harvest, which is just practical. That's true in farming. That's really, there's still true a spiritual element to that. That when you plant the seed, don't sit there and watch. It's not going to grow. There's not going to be a harvest till about four months later. So be patient between planting and harvest. That's true. 
But then Jesus says, guys, the fields are white for harvest now. And can you imagine looking down the road to the village that the woman was at and the people are now coming? It would have looked like a walking white field. Talits being worn, prayer shawls, head coverings, and this walking field of white is coming to Jesus. I think we need to be confident in evangelism. Not that, that God's going to save someone just because we share the gospel with them at any given second, but because God sowed his son into the earth. He died for our sins. The reason that the harvest is always white is because the son died and rose again. He's the door to eternal life. We just need to give the seed more than we've ever given the seed before. Stephen, would you come? Wanderer, worshiper, witness. All one person who's experienced the saving grace of the Lord. So I, there's just so many ways to pray this morning. Are you a believer? Have you been spiritually dry? Have you found that you've been really more focused on your earthly needs more than your spiritual needs? Have you, have you not been drinking at the fountain of God's word? Have you not been enjoying God's presence in prayer? Have you, have you, have you not been experiencing what can be found in small group fellowship? And our discipleship groups are getting started here in the next week. There's just so many ways. That's, that's not a to-do list. This is just ways God loves to pour out living water for you. These are just means of his grace for you to experience afresh the life-giving water of the Lord. But isn't it so great that you don't need to go to small group this week for that to start? How about just calling out to him this morning? God, help me drink this morning. I want to drink this morning. My real deepest need is to be satisfied in Jesus. How are you doing in living a, a, a life of witness to the lost? I'm praying that, that this is a church thing for us. That's not just individual. Wouldn't it be cool that John 4 is God, God giving us a template for 2023 of, of being blessed and renewed and filled with the living water of his word, worshiping him in spirit and in truth and witnessing for him in Midland and beyond. Wouldn't it be something that God just does this harvesting that in 2023 that we'll just go, this is the coolest thing. There's so many people that are getting saved. What are we going to do with all the people? Wouldn't that be something? Would you stand? And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we have people this morning that would love to introduce you to him. Uh, the Avampados and the Millers are our prayer families this morning, and they'll be up here this morning to pray with you and for you about any need you have, but uniquely, how wonderful would it be to come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Amen. Stephen, would you go ahead?